This week's episode is brought to you by Jack Frost's Mobile Winter Wonderland. Whatever your frozen needs, Jack Frost can take care of you. If you want to set up a snowball fight at a school, or if you want to build snowmen in the heart of Florida, Jack Frost is your guy. Call today and mention Tis the Podcast to save 15%. Enjoy the show. Okay, people, tomorrow morning, 10 a.m., Santa's coming to town. Oh, my God! Would you please tell him that instead of presents this year, I just want my family back. Rudolph, with your nose so bright, won't you guide my sleigh tonight? It must be magic. I must find some way to keep Christmas from coming. Nobody's walking out on this fun old-fashioned family Christmas. Isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? True, Charlie Brown. I can tell you what Christmas is all about. Seeing isn't believing. Believing is seeing. Best way to spread Christmas cheer is singing loud for all to hear. Hey, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of Tis the Podcast, the podcast dedicated to keeping the Christmas spirit alive 365 days a year without Kirk Cameron. I'm Julia. I'm Anthony. And I'm Tom. This week, 4,000 times more cheery. <laughs> we survived and we're back in the flow of good old fashioned Christmas movies. Asterisk. Was, yeah, I was about to, I was about to say asterisk. <laughs> one, one of our longtime listeners and a friend of mine, Adam from Houston, called me today to tell me that this month has been his favorite. He has loved us giving power to his inner Scrooge. <laughs> I'm really surprised he listens to our podcast because he is very much not the Christmas guy. I've actually heard oh, from so much. Yeah, I've heard from friends who listen and they liked this month because they liked just seeing us get angrier and angrier with each episode this month <laughs> until it <laughs> boiled over last week. Well, hopefully this week will be different, whether or not. We actually veer into Christmas territory or not. This week we're talking about the 2012 DreamWorks animation picture, Rise of the Guardians. Um, Anthony, do you want to give a synopsis for those that have not seen it? I would love to. Generation after generation, immortal guardians like Santa Claus, the Sandman, the Easter Bunny, and the Tooth Fairy protect the world's children from darkness and despair. However, an evil boogeyman named Pitch schemes to overthrow the Guardians by obliterating children's belief in them. It falls to a winter sprite named Jack Frost to thwart Pitch's plans and save the Guardians from destruction. Thank you. That was a good one. Oh, well, thank you, Google. (laughs) (laughs) I will never write these. I'm just going to tell you that now unless I truly can't find one that doesn't work. (laughs) What are our histories with this movie? Tom. What's your history with this movie? Well, um, I had only heard, I guess, what I wanted to hear. And I thought we were watching the sequel to Guardians of the Galaxy. (laughs) And so when I actually started watching this movie and saw the cover, I was like, oh, this is not what I was expecting. Um, So uh, my history started out as a disappointment. But... uh, (laughs) Because I had been waiting to see the, because when we talked about this, I had thought somehow there was something Christmassy involved in the, uh, the new Guardians movie. So I have waited to see that movie. I haven't yet seen it yet because I thought that <laughs> we were discussing this week. 
So for months I've been building up and excited that I was going to finally see the sequel to Guardians of the Galaxy. And it was something else. <laughs> something entirely else. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Is that a true story? <laughs> I, I, I can never tell with you. So I just wanted to... No, no. That's really funny. <laughs> What's your history, Anthony? Um, so I saw this opening weekend in theaters when it first came out with Sarah. And I was really excited to see this movie because I loved the idea of, you know, all these childhood legends on the big screen together. So it came out in November and the a- all the advertisements for it made it look very... Um, Christmassy, and I'll get into that later. But I, so the movie itself, the first time I saw it, I walked out disappointed because it was not what I was expecting, especially based on some of those early trailers. And um, so, yeah, I walked out very disappointed. I can't say I was particularly excited to watch it for the show, but I will say, just before we get into it in detail, that uh, this is probably the first movie or the first movie in a long time at least, where my opinion has done like a complete a complete 180 from the first time I saw it to now. Wow. Uh, yeah, so I really, I really enjoyed it this time around. And I don't know if that's a combination of it following a horrible month <laughs> or just I knew I was expecting this time, but I really liked it, even though, you know there's an asterisk as to whether or not it's a Christmas movie, but we'll get into that. I am. Um, I saw it when we rented it. My kids, I think saw it in the theater cause they always see stuff before me when they're with their grandma and they really liked it. And so we rented it and I, I really have enjoyed this movie from the beginning. And similarly to Anthony upon second viewing, which is not the second time, but upon viewing for this podcast, I was expecting to like, not like it as much the second time, but I think I've, I still like it, but for different reasons now. So it was surprising to me because I'm like, oh boy, I'm going to watch this and really pick it apart. I am interested to talk about the asterisk and then a few other things that are quite unique <laughs> with this particular movie. Um, just to cover the credits, it was directed by Peter Ramsey. Um, not a ton. He's done Monsters vs. Aliens, Mutant Pumpkins from Outer Space, which was a Halloween TV special, which I did watch and I did not enjoy. Um, but I didn't really care for the monsters versus alien stuff. That was going to be my question. Yeah. Did you like it? No, that was another one I was really excited for because I liked the trailers and the concept and that movie just totally disappointed me and bored me. Me It was written by, or the screenplay was written by David Lindsay Abair, who did Robots, Oz the Great and Powerful, Inkheart, Shrek the Musical. Um, So lots of kid-oriented stuff here, I feel like. Did y'all see or like any of those that he's done? I saw Oz the Grand the Powerful and not the biggest fan. I liked the Encart movie, but nothing like the book. I love the book. Yeah. Um, robots. I, I don't like robots. I, robots is the one I've seen and I didn't like it at all. So my favorite part of the credits on this, aside from, aside from the voice actors, the music so I guess it's like my fourth or fifth favorite thing now that I look at that. Um, so William Joyce wrote Rise of the Guardians. I had no idea this was a book series until Anthony dropped that hint midweek prior to tonight. And he has written one of my favorite kids' books, The Fantastic Flying Books of Mr. Morris Lesmore. That's a fantastic kids' book. If you haven't read it, it's great. Um, he also has writing credits with Meet the Robinsons, which is a Disney movie, which I adore that movie. 
and the movie Epic. So did either of you read the book series real quick? No, but I want to very so, badly. So I knew it was a book series and I looked into it just a little more because I haven't read it either. Apparently the books, this movie is a sequel to the book series. The book series took place 300 years in the past and uh, there were three books, one with Santa as a focus, one with the Tooth Fairy and one with the Easter Bunny. But it all took place 300 years ago and this is the official sequel. Interesting. So I found so that. I looked I looked up the wiki for Rise of the Guardians and there is a ton of information about each of these characters that like obviously way more than's in the movies and it's all extremely interesting to me. <laughs> that whole expanding upon fairy tale or myth and all of that stuff is right up my alley when it comes to stories at least here lately. So I'm going to read them. Yeah, me too. The, I was I, doing the same thing. I think they're like 250 pages each. So, I mean, they're kids' books, but they're like at least a good, decent length. Yeah. So, quick read, though. Yeah, definitely. So I'm looking forward to that. So did y'all notice the music in the movie by any chance? I did. Did you like the music in the movie? I did. And then I just did realized why. Music is the only I, Christmas element in this movie? <laughs> uh, not, not exactly, but one of the better Christmas elements in this movie. Yeah, so Alexander... Desplat, Desplat, butchering the Frenchness of that name. But this guy is like score royalty, composer royalty in the music scene. Um, he did the imitation game, Deathly Hallows Part 1 and 2, which I know holds a special part in all of our hearts. Um, the King's Speech, and then I'm going to say it, he did the music for Twilight New Moon, which I realize I am referencing Twilight, but the music in that movie is absolutely beautiful. So you cannot, you don't have to like Twilight to pick that score up sometime and listen to it because it really is lovely. So just because there's a Harry Potter connection here, I have a question for you guys. Okay. So after jo- John Williams of the franchise, which composer do you think did the best job? Uh, which film do you think had the best score after Azkaban? Because that's when he left. The Deathly Hallows 1 and Deathly 2. Hallows? Yeah, I agree. It yeah. was unbelievable. I mean, the music was just, it was a ride in and of itself. Yeah, uh, totally. Guys, I can't, uh, I can't wait to do our Harry Potter episode. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Did my ringtone today again, back to the uh, uh, Hedgewig's theme. That was Hannah's one purchase for anybody in the family from Bandcamp was to buy me the French horn music for Harry Potter's, like the main themes from Harry Potter. Yeah. That's it's awesome. Pretty great. That's yeah. a sweet. It meant a lot to me. So, so you'll so you'll play the outro music for a Harry Potter episode on the French horn. Oh, I don't know about that. <laughs> I'll give you a dollar. So, quick comments before we actually get into the characters themselves. We have some pretty big voice acting in this movie. It's a fairly small cast, but it's some pretty big heavy hitters. So, Hugh Jackman voices Bunny, which is the Easter Bunny. Alec Baldwin voices who we refer to as Santa, but he's North. In this movie, uh, Chris Pine is our main character, Jack Frost. Isla Fisher is Tooth, aka the Tooth Fairy. And Jude Law is the nemesis. He's Pitch, short for Pitch Black. And there's also another character that is not voiced at all because he's totally silent. And he's the <laughs> other guardian. He's the Sandman. They call him Sandy, aka Sanderson Mansnoozy. Wait, is the Easter Bunny's name Bunny or Bunnymund? I thought it was Bunnymund. Well, his full name is E. Aster Bunnymund. Okay, got it. But they call him Bunny. Got it, got it, got it, got it. So. Or kangaroo. Or kangaroo. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, 
the the most noticeable voice for me, the one that really jumped out more than any of them, was uh, definitely Jude Law. Everybody yeah. else did something with their voice, but his was just pure Jude Law. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I don't know. I think I liked. I would like when I saw that uh, Alec Baldwin had mm. done the voice of North. It blew me away. I would not have no. caught that on my own in a million years. And same thing with Hugh Jackman. It just, oh, I, I would have caught Hugh, but I, I really liked his voice. I really liked the work he did for Bunny. I did too. I wish Jude Law would have put in a little bit more and created more of a character than just being Jude Law. But see that, I mean, for me, that worked for the character. But can we, can we talk about the animation for a second? Because Julia always brings up animation, like that everything's kind of a... Because uh, I'm picky. Yeah, a little cheap compared to Disney. And you're absolutely right all the time when you say that. Disney's just top of the line this was amazing i thought the human characters could have used more work okay so that i agree with that so the humans are still off for me a little bit that's that still that shiny and not quite there but everything else was the 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 backgrounds were good and i love the sandman i loved bunny pitch Pitch looked so weird for me pitch looked weird to me he just so, <laughs> Whenever I saw a pitch, I thought about Loki, specifically totally Tom Hiddleston playing, playing Loki, but voiced by Jude Law. And I was a little confused because I'm like, ah, I feel like this should be Tom Hiddleston. I can totally see that 100%. <laughs> but Tom, I agree with you. The North Pole in this film might be one of my favorite North Poles. It looked, I loved, it was all ice. It was hidden up in the mountains. I loved it. It was beautiful. I loved the the... When they were when they were flying out on the sleigh, and you see the North Pole, like you see Santa's house, and it's got that uh, uh, Scandinavian slash Eastern European influence. It was breathtakingly beautiful. Okay, mm-hmm. I didn't say this earlier, but I'm gonna say it right now. I started out disappointed with this movie because I thought I was gonna be watching a Guardians of the Galaxy. <laughs> the opening scene where Santa is carving the ice train won mm-hmm. me. It took that long for me to get on board with this movie. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, we've done DreamWorks animation movies in the past. Most notoriety probably goes to Arthur Christmas. That was DreamWorks animation, right? Arthur Christmas was Sony. Sony. Ah, so maybe I should just lump it in a non-Disney animation. <laughs> Doesn't usually resonate with me. This is the first time it did, honestly. And it's not... It is some of its production value and how beautiful a lot of the scenes are. And really, so, their human figures have come a long way as well. Wasn't um, Trolls DreamWorks? Yes. Was it? Did oh, no, like wait, no. Well, I, don't I love Trolls, but Trolls came after this. Oh, and, you mean prior to this? Okay, sorry. Right, yeah, like prior, yeah. I don't know. I still don't like, I didn't like the human animation. So, like, I, I liked the designs of Santa and Pitch and Jack worked for me and he was human. Yep. But the way, some of Santa's or North, some of his and Pitches and Tooth Fairy, there some yeah. of their some of their movements looked a little jerky for me and not as smooth and clean as mm-hmm. the Sandman and Jack Frost did. I love. I will say this about Pitch though. I loved the way he moved with the shadows and everything. I really did like that. It was just his close-ups of his face that bothered me. The nightmares that Pitch weaved were very reminiscent of some of a combination to me of a nargle and a death eater 
That's all I could think when I saw them. It was like, if the Nargles became Death Eaters, this is what they would be, which says a lot about how I felt about them. I mean, I, I, I thought they were beautiful in a very mm-hmm. dark way. I liked Sand, Sandy, Sandman's dreams. Like how he, we, I that mean, style, yeah. But mm-hmm. I, I liked how bright they were and everything. I, I love the character of Sandy in general. He was just so adorable. Yeah, I like him too. So let's go character by character real quick because it seems like whenever we're talking about Christmas movies, we have to delve into what Santas do we like, what elves do we like, what North Poles do we like. So I love the Yetis. Like we, I love the Yetis too. So for those that have not seen it, um, Santa, a.k.a. North, is in his workshop, just standard Santa workshop. He has a sleigh. He has reindeer. He has elves. In addition to elves, in this case, he has Yetis. Um, and the Yetis are the ones that do the real work, and the elves are really kind of troublemakers um, and hilarious to me. Um, what did y'all think of the styling of the elves? I liked it a lot. They look like the uh, the Scandinavian Swedish Tomty, which oh, is I why I liked it. There's an artist here in town, uh, Slight Home Folk Art, and she does a lot of Scandinavian inspired stuff. And she, we got some Tomties from her a couple of years ago that are part of her christmas decorum they're very bell like i mean they had bells on their hats for sure but their shape is like a little bell and they had the funny faces and they were just hilarious a very funny sideshow uh, to me speaking of bells i'm going to jump ahead a little bit my favorite scene by far was when sandy picked up <laughs> picked up the elf and started ringing the bell on his hat to get attention i i preferred the yetis to the elves and I liked how there's a big tapestry in the background of the shop with Santa and a Yeti shaking hands. Like, <laughs> I didn't even notice that. Like, I, like I just kind of thought, oh, that's probably when he got them to work for him because it, was, <laughs> it looked like a very formal like arrangement they were doing. But yeah, it, was- <laughs> it comes to Santa. Let's talk about what he wore because that always comes up as well. So this Santa depiction is pretty unique. For one, he is. He's pure Russian, which I found delightful for yeah, one. I didn't, I didn't mind that. I like that. Uh-uh. And he's got the color scheme that Santas have. He has, he has the red, the browns, the blacks. I liked Santa's tattoos. He has giant arm tattoos, naughty and nice. <laughs> he had the same look as uh, Santa's sleigh Santa. Mm. Like physical he, appearance, yeah. but much warmer. Yes. I, I I liked Santa's as a character, but overall his look, while unique, it's not my preferred version of how Santa would look. But. Mm-hmm. I liked him in the Russian hat though when they're on the sleigh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did like that. Yeah, and I I did I I mean, just to jump ahead real quick because I re- think it really t- talked to who Santa was as a character. Because I've mentioned before on the podcast, I like my Santa to have a little bit of toughness to him, and this one definitely did. Maybe a little too much on the outside for me. But the scene where he's talking to Jack with the little uh, Santa, what are those dolls called? Yeah, the nesting dolls. And he's taking them apart to show all the different layers to him. Like, mm-hmm. I really like that. Yeah. That's where I love Santa, Santa as a multidimensional character. Mm-hmm. It's the first time we've seen, I think, quite like that. Yes. Well, Absolutely. And where we learn that Santa's motivation here is wonder, to share the wonder that he has with kids. Oh, guys, I mm-hmm. loved it. 
What if- Which the whole, we, I guess we kind of have to watch it also through the frame of mind that, that each of these characters is a guardian of children in, uh, in one way or another. So his, his guiding force for this is wonder. Um, and like Tooth Fairies is memories. She protects memories. And so that's hence the swords. <laughs> so in this movie, they're not just reserved characters. They're warriors as well, which I thought was just very interesting. And there's a lot of ways that could have gone wrong for me, but I really enjoyed it. Like I could get into it. It was unique enough to where it worked. Yeah. It felt real. It felt natural. It wasn't forced. It wasn't tried. And I loved how, I mean, they mentioned at the end, right? That as long as there's one child who'll believe in them, they'll always be around fighting for the children of the world. And I loved that idea. What did so while we're still talking Santa, what did you guys think of the reindeer? They're definitely not the warm reindeer we've had in the past. <laughs> they're I mean, they're pure animal in this. They're beautiful, but that was the first thing I thought was, oh, they're not warm, cuddly reindeer. I, I prefer my reindeer to be pets more than wild <laughs> animals. But uh I thought they looked cool. I like I liked, liked, liked the reindeer anthropomorphized. <laughs> I I do. <laughs> I uh, I liked how they made the sleigh dynamic by adding little wings to it. <laughs> I thought that was very cool. Yeah, I made a note where I loved the wood. I love that they kept, you know, wood mm-hmm. on the sleigh, and it was kind of still that old world look, but they mixed it a little bit with new technology, but it didn't go wrong in a way that I know Arthur Christmas went wrong for y'all, and prep and landing goes wrong for me. Um, I feel like it was a light hand on technology, like the snow globes opening up portals and that's how he gets around. That worked for me. That was, awesome. that was so Very clever. Mixed with new. I liked that. Oh. And I, I like that. This, yeah. I like that. The sleigh was very old school, like no, like no seatbelts. And that scared the heck out of <laughs> Bunny, who was, was trying to crouch into a corner and stay as low as possible. <laughs> I really, one thing that, that made it work so well for me on so many levels they didn't try to explain any of this. Like, you know, any, they didn't explain to us the technology or the rationale behind why the sleigh worked as it did. Uh, they didn't explain the portals. It's just Santa took out a snow globe, said where he wanted to go, threw it, boom. They, did, they didn't explain the man on the moon or why he chose these people to do this. Or why he had the power to choose these people. Yeah. I liked the mystery behind it. It felt more mm-hmm. like a fairy tale. Mm-hmm. But I, I did like the reindeer. I, when they came out all totally BA, just busting through, yeah. I'm like... <laughs> Hey, this is different. This is fun. Uh, again, I, I, I like you said about about the technology, Julia. It could have they, the way they did those reindeer could have gone so wrong. I can't explain what what worked for me so much more here than in other situations where I haven't liked things, but it did. It really worked for me. So let's talk about Bunny. Yeah, I think that's fair. Well, let's talk about Bunny. It's a, it's the Easter episode unofficially, right? Let's talk about the Easter Bunny. Well, and it is the Easter episode because the closest holiday this movie hits is Easter. Three days I before mean, Easter. Yeah, it, it occurs yeah. three days before Easter, which I'm sure we'll get into with it. Is this a Christmas movie talk? Um, so Easter, the Easter Bunny, they call him Bunny. He's E. Aster Bunny is his name. He's Australian. And his realm, so to speak, is very reminiscent of Easter Island. Um, He has these large stone eggs that walk around and are defenders. They have this beautiful green moss on them. And um, his whole world is under the ground, you know, rabbit holes. And that's how he gets around is he can pop open rabbit holes wherever he goes. 
So he, um, he's beautiful to look at. I think he has these feathered, um, flower etchings in his fur and he has boomerangs as his weapon. And he's just funny because he's real, he's pretty coarse (laughs) and he's always arguing. And that's a perfect juxtaposition to he is just this cute over large rabbit. And I love that they take him down to size later on in the movie and he shrinks down to the size of an actual bunny rabbit. And Mm -hmm. he still has this rough personality. Like, (laughs) I just loved the contrast. So the whole Easter bunny thing, I'm just going to say, Easter has always, like, with religious aspects removed from Easter has always seemed, I don't know, fun, but not as meaningful as other holidays to me, right? You hunt for Easter eggs and that's what it is. But so he, the port, his kind of, the climax for him is they are... They're all working together to make Easter happen. And he mentions that Easter is not just about eggs. It's about heralding spring. It's about hope. And it's about the newness of life. And he is looking around in his world and he's saying this out loud. And it was just, it was beautiful to me. And I hadn't thought of just Easter and Easter eggs in that way. But I also, of course, very rarely separate it from, you know, religious aspects. But I thought that was great. Yeah, I love that explanation. I will say about his world, though. Out of, between him, Santa, and the Tooth Fairy, his world was probably the most bland to me, honestly. I love the, we'll get to the Tooth Fairy in a minute, but I loved her world. Mm-hmm. I really was creeped out by the eggs with legs walking through. <laughs> and, and I didn't like that. I really didn't like that. Um, that is I love probably, that they mention it, too. Yeah. Who is it that says that's creepy? Is it Jack? Jack Frost picks it up and yeah. goes, that's creepy. Uh, I was definitely with Jack on that one. But if I have to pick a low point, a part of the movie that I didn't like, it would it would be this Easter realm. Well, I guess I'll, mine wouldn't be the Easter realm. Mine would have been the, uh, and it was cute. Like for, it was cute. I'm not saying it was a bad low point. It was just the part that went on a little too overlong for me was when they're all racing around collecting teeth after like, two or three stops. I was like, okay, I get it. They're having fun. They're racing. Oh, I loved that part. <laughs> oh, I did too. That was funny to me. I mean, I that was, part was funny to me too. I think the, the, <laughs> the reason I thought it was funny was because we saw this, such a uh, mischievous side of Sandman. Yeah. And, uh, oh, when I saw that side, I'd already loved, I'd already fallen in love with Sandman. He was just so adorable and cute. But then I see him like sneaking in and stealing, <laughs> stealing eggs from, you know, or stealing teeth from people before they can get them. And it just, it made me so happy. Well, so then let's talk about the tooth fairy since she's our next one. So she's this beautiful hummingbird styled creature. Um, and her. She creeps me out. Well, so the teeth <laughs> creeps me out. <laughs> I, I like the teeth memory thing, even though it doesn't really make sense to me, but her design creeped me out. Like I want to really? know. I, I don't want to think. I liked her little fairies, how they're a pure hummingbird. Right. But this half hummingbird, half woman thing, like mm-hmm. if I accidentally woke up in the middle of the night and saw that thing in my bedroom, I don't know what I would do. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if that's intentional because their attitude, I mean, it's Isla Fisher does the voice and it's pretty much her doing her, I feel like as a yeah. hummingbird creature. She's very high energy and she comes on a little strong. And I mean, at one point she even holds these teeth out to this little kid that kind of hitches a ride with them to the Easter realm. And she's like, look at the bits of gum and gum and blood. You know, she's just, oh. oh that was so creepy. 
<laughs> so the idea there is that kids' teeth, they, the tooth fairy collects children's teeth because their most important memories are stored inside of them. And so they help protect those memories from children. Um, the teeth thing freaks me out a little bit. You know, that's the part of the movie where I'm kind of like, oh gosh, teeth. I don't know. <laughs> but I thought she was beautiful. It worked for me. Her castle up in the sky among the clouds was beautiful. It was gorgeous. Like after the North Pole, that was probably my favorite scenic, scenic uh, location in the movie. Along with just how, uh, with how good it was, the way they showed it start to disintegrate and crumble was pretty amazing too. Well, yeah, because Pitch, so Pitch is our villain and he is the boogeyman essentially from the dark ages. Um, and since then, since all of these guardians came onto the stage, he's been obsolete because they bring hope and, um, and nobody believes in him anymore. Exactly. Which took away his power. So that was part of, so that's basically his grand plan is, you know, when kids stop believing in them, it takes away all of their power. So his grand plan is, not only to render the Guardians powerless by getting kids to stop believing in them, but by so doing, it would restore his own power because without them protecting the world, he could spread fear and darkness again, like the Dark Ages. Mm-hmm. And it's a pretty good plan as far as villains are concerned, I think. Cliché plan. I, but It is. But even then, there was something, I don't know, it wasn't one of those... It was a very straightforward plan. ...and villains that I was like... I feel like there are other ways around this. You know, like, I don't know. It didn't seem as nefarious for some reason. I don't know why. It was probably just me. I thought he was very charismatic. Been more effective. He was charismatic. That's for sure. And his creatures were terrifying. So that well, was I think that's really, the part of the plan that was creepy for me. Like the, the no. creatures going around and scaring the children. Yeah. The, the, they gave him some depth, too, and showed him as a pretty intelligent, I mean, especially for a kid's movie. The fact that he knew how to start playing Jack Frost, playing up on his insecurities, was not something I expected from a movie like this. I, I like his sarcasm. Like, I'll, I'll just say right now, he had one of my favorite lines in the movie. And it's when he first confronts the Guardians and he says, I have to say, this is very, very exciting. The big four all in one place. I'm a little starstruck. <laughs> and like that to me, that's, I mean, who wouldn't be starstruck, right? <laughs> <laughs> so that brings us to a good time to talk about Jack Frost, who really is the main character of this movie. He's Should we the most- just talk about Sandy real quick before him? Oh, yeah. Sandy, who wasn't in it long enough. Oh, I know. <laughs> he was, so Sandy, the Sandman, the bringer of dreams, um, He's totally silent in the movie, but that doesn't mean he's not expressive. He's adorable. And it's his dream sand technology that Pitch uses to push his bad thoughts and stuff. He manipulates that in the same way, but it's like a nightmare sand, I guess. Um, Sandy's awesome. He's adorable. I just want to reach in and give him a hug. Mm-hmm. I really do. He's like a little teddy bear, even though he looks like a human. But I mean, <laughs> he looks like the grandpa you always wanted. <laughs> <laughs> and I love his version of thought bubbles above his head, but in the sand, how it would mm-hmm. be like a question mark if he's trying to figure it out. He's great and is loved by everybody on the team. He's not, well, he can't be, he can't be a divisive character because he doesn't talk. Um, but he's the first one to be sort of 
Next. Silenced. Yeah. Which he comes back in the end, spoiler alert, which is great. And the way that he comes back is fantastic as well. All of the kids have banded together with the guardians to fight pitch and Sandman shows back up and, you know, you see the beautiful representations of his dreams and, and all of that. So I love Sandy and I, I love, I you didn't think you would. No, like when I first saw him, I'm like, oh, he's cute, but this is going to get really old, you know, mm-hmm. when he's not talking. That's just something, you know, um, in a lot of movies when they have a, a character who doesn't, who's nonverbal, mm-hmm. it just gets kind of kitschy, mm-hmm. but he never did. They built enough depth into him without using words, which was impressive. Plus, he was just really funny. He was funny. <laughs> and I love that his name in the books is Sanderson Mansnoozy. I mean, come on now. (laughs) So let's talk about Jack Frost. He is the newest guardian and he becomes the guardian in this movie. And the whole movie is framed around him and his identity crisis, trying to figure out who he is and why is he here and all of that. So you find out close to the end of the movie who he is. He doesn't even know who he is. Um, The whole movie, he just thinks he's Jack Frost with no history. He was called by the moon and who knows why. And I love his backstory. Mm -hmm. Um, Him and his sister were ice skating on a pond and the ice starts to crack and he essentially sacrifices himself to save his sister's life. He dies in the pond and then you see him basically resurrected as Jack Frost with no memory. So it's when he figures out who he actually is that he kind of claims that position as a guardian. He's pretty reluctant to do that the whole movie, but when he does, I feel like that's a Linus moment. So I have uh, even even as even through his reluctance, though he does the right thing throughout the movie. Mm-hmm. He does. Um, which mm-hmm. is you can tell what the what uh, Pitch is telling him is resonating mm-hmm. about him. You know, being because Pitch is complaining that he's forgotten. People don't see him. They don't believe in him. It's the same thing that that Jack Frost dealt with from the uh the first time we see him interact with, trying to interact with humans but he doesn't let that sway him he's genuinely this good character despite what the guardians make us think about him at first um i think he's just he's, he's my, just a little bit of a troublemaker he's my favorite he's the, the character i relate to the most i was about to ask you guys who's your favorite guardian so tom said jack frost what about you julia mm-hmm. i like north <laughs> i liked sandy so <laughs> it's funny those are my top three they are. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess that only really leaves what Tooth and Bunny, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and uh, Tooth was I could give or take, give or take her really. Yeah, she was but, the most uh, expendable to me. I've never been a fan of the Easter Bunny; just <laughs> not my guy. So I, lo- I love the Easter Bunny. <laughs> I never. I mean, it, it just perplexed me from a young age as a child. Why the heck a bunny is bringing eggs? It just did not make sense. <laughs> and it bothered me. It bothered me. <laughs> It, this is one of my deep existential crisis crises as a child is why this is why the bunny is bringing eggs i have a question about the guardians i guess yeah and it's when they were trying to choose jack frost or they were trying to choose who would be the new guardian they mentioned a leprechaun and a groundhog and <laughs> so were they i get i assume they were also chosen by the man on the moon they just haven't become full-on guardians yet is that what we're supposed to believe or are they? Oh, just I didn't a- think about that. I just figured it was. Because- oh, I don't. I don't know. They weren't, they weren't ex- yeah, they weren't expecting another guardian. Well, uh, but the, they said in the diet they knew who the leprechaun and the groundhog were at the very least. Yeah, I don't know that. He, I don't know. I don't know. 
But I mean, Jack Frost is clearly out there for years without being a guardian. So maybe the man on the moon had others out there. I don't know. I was just wondering that. Maybe we'll meet them in a sequel. Maybe. So man, talking about a sequel, there are fans out there begging for a sequel to this movie. And I assume it's just probably because the popularity of the book series, right? Mm -hmm. But they are chomping at the bit for it. And this movie was kind of written off as a total failure especially by DreamWorks mm-hmm. um, because it took so long to recoup their money and they just wasn't I, what they thought it would be. I blame the advertising for that. That was very misleading advertising. I, yeah. When I, when I looked at the trailer, they, they definitely build it as a Christmas film and it's, it's not. It's not. It's, it's no. a late winter film. That's they what it just, is. They could have just as easily have made this a spring movie. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah, I think it, it probably been... would have done better. It would have had less competition because uh, there, I mean, really, there aren't many Easter Bunny movies out there. And the Easter Bunny played just as prominent of a role in here as Santa did. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, again, it took place three days before Easter. I'm not opposed to a sequel, first of all, because this in it of itself is a sequel to the book series. Mm-hmm. Um, plus, I feel like just with this world they created, they probably could, and they already name drop other beings who are out there so probably the author probably did have sequel ideas honestly mm-hmm. and especially if the authors involved i'm not opposed to it but if they did a sequel i'd like to see it maybe set closer to christmas time mm-hmm. or do a prequel and just talk about how santa became a guardian so like the, so book. the books yeah mm-hmm. the books primarily focused on one character mm-hmm. and like their Should origin we, story so to speak be neat which which this this movie did too i mean it was primarily the, the origin story of jack which was yeah again a sequel to the books which jack frost was never the focus of any of the books so this was his focus i like this jack frost better than the jack frost from uh santa claus three santa claus three that's a low bar (laughs) absolutely i I mean i don't i never had in my mind an idea of who or what jack frost should be but this like thinking about it probably be something similar to this like a playful Mm -hmm. sprite I'm trying to think of other movies with Jack Frost in them because there are a few, and this is probably definitely my favorite portrayal of Jack. Michael Keaton's Jack Frost. (laughs) I love that movie so much. I I do too. I I like it. I'm excited to talk about that one. I cry like a flipping baby that entire movie. But do you know, like every year when I go to Comic Con, there are there are Jack Frost cosplayers, and usually they're with their girlfriend dressed as Elsa. So people. That's right. Yeah. It is a huge online relation. Yeah, it's yep. massive. Jack Frost and Elsa? Yeah. Elsa yes. from Frozen, the Ice Princess. Yep. Yeah, yeah so the, it's massive. <laughs> it's massive, though. You go to Comic-Con every year, there are always a few couples dressed as that. I don't, I don't like that. I, I mean, I think it's cute. I mean, I never would have thought about it until I saw it, but I don't know. I think it's cute. I'm not going out yeah. to write or read fan fiction about it, but... <laughs> You, you can nice you can write your fanfic. Right there. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll write I'll write the fanfiction for our Patreon episode. Oh god. How fun would that be? <laughs> that would be if we wrote fanfiction like fanfiction is written to write fanfiction. That would be so I'll much do fun. it. That'd be fun. That'd be hilarious. I'll write some Twilight fanfiction. <laughs> Fifty Shades of Grey? Exactly. <laughs> So we discussed not a Christmas movie across the board, I think, right? Correct. So even though it's not a Christmas movie, 
Does I, it pass the Linus test? Does it pass the Linus test? Yes, I think it does. I think it's got at least two moments where it passes some version of the Linus test. So Jack, yeah. when he figures out, and then Bunny, when when Bunny has to be told, you know, it's for the kids, remember? And he's like, oh, that's right. It is for the kids. <laughs> but all that to say, I'm still not a Christmas movie. No. So would it be a part of your Christmas canon? Because I guess it doesn't have to be a Christmas movie. It'd be part of your Christmas canon. No, I would definitely watch it again, but probably I would never probably I wouldn't go out of my way to watch it around Christmas. If it was on, yeah, I'd turn it on. But no, there's too much Christmas stuff to watch at Christmas. Yeah, exactly. That's, true. That's a good point. <laughs> Are you gonna do Any quotes? favorite quotes and scenes from the movie? I have some. I have some. I have some. Julia, why don't you lead us off? Well, it's not a specific quote, but I love how anytime North makes an exclamation of some sort, it's a Russian composer. <laughs> and I love when you first see him in his workshop, he's listening to the Firebird Suite, which is Stravinsky. And then later on, he mentions Rimsky-Korsakov and he mentions Shostakovich. And <laughs> it's just something I want to start doing now when I'm frustrated to be like, Shostakovich. <laughs> I loved that part. <laughs> Um, I'm going to go back and repeat what I said earlier. I really like the scene where uh, Sandman is trying to get everybody's attention and he picks up the elf and just starts shaking it. That's my favorite scene. (laughs) I like when they, I think it's when they're collecting teeth and uh, what's the kid's name in this movie who shows up multiple times? The the main, Jamie. Mm -hmm. Jamie wakes up and the tooth fairy's like, shh, you guys, he's still awake. And the Easter Bunny's like, Sandy, knock him out. And Sandy raises his fist like he's going to punch him. And the bunny's like, no, with the dream sand, you gumbies. (laughs) So we mentioned liking the Yetis. I love the one Yeti that has just finished painting all of the things one color and is told, no, that's too Christmassy. Paint it blue. And he goes, (laughs) ah. Oh, that was my next one, Julia. Um, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I liked it when uh, it's, I don't know if it was in the movie or the trailer because I watched them both today, but when Jack Frost asked something along the lines of if he was on the naughty list and Santa responds, naughty list, you hold the record. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I like when Jamie's like, the Easter Bunny is real. And Jack Frost is like, oh, he's real, all right? Real annoying, real grumpy, and really full of himself. <laughs> Their banter is so funny back and forth. Uh-huh. Yeah. And I love how in this movie they didn't tame the language, even though it's regional and the Easter Bunny multiple says multiple times uses he uses bloody in his mm-hmm. exclamations, which made me laugh. Uh, I really liked the speaking of their banter when Jack calls the Easter Bunny a kangaroo. <laughs> <laughs> And they, that starts the whole, kicks off the whole fight. I really liked it. I like when the kids start, stop believing and, you know, the guardians start using their power, losing their powers and Pitch confronts them. And he's like, I can't tell you how happy it makes me to see you all like this. You look awful. <laughs> so I like it when it's the very beginning of the movie and North is walking through the workshop and those little elves are running around because they're teeny tiny. And he goes, shoo with your pointy heads. Why are you always under boot? (laughs) I really like that under boot line. So there's the scene where they're all together and Jack Frost is talking 
about the kids and spending time with them. And North tells him, we're very busy bringing joy to children. We don't have time. And then he pauses and he says, for children, he realizes that they've all got been caught up in what they're giving to the kids, that they've lost sight of the kids themselves. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's a really big point. I think where we see them begin to change their opinion of Jack when they realize that he does care about kids, just he manifests it in a different way than they do. So again, I like all the banter and I like the tooth fairy makes a jab about Santa Claus and the Easter bunny. And she says to Sandy, well, she says, sorry, but not all of us get to work one day a year. Am I right, Sandy? (laughs) (laughs) I like when they're flying in the sleigh and Jack pretends to fall off of it. And the Easter bunny crawls over the side to go catch him. (laughs) And Jack is just resting beneath. And he's like, oh, you do care. And then what does Bunny say? I don't know. What does he say? He says, oh, rack off, you bloody show pony. (laughs) (laughs) I also want to make mention this movie is very good in, like you said, Julia, they didn't tone down the Easter bunny's language. And Mm -hmm. they made Santa very Russian. He kept mentioning Russian composers and everything. Uh, the little mouse who is collect, uh, collecting teeth that they run into, that's um, the tooth mouse who was created by a Spanish author in 1894, and he replaced lost baby teeth with gifts in Spain, Portugal, France, Italy, and Latin America. So he, so he was the Tooth Fairy's uh, European division. Oh, that's funny. Uh, that's neat. I, I liked where in, they're in the little boy in Jamie's room the first time. And the Easter Bunny comes face to face with the Greyhound, and uh, he's like, "That's a Greyhound. Do you know what Greyhounds do to rabbits?" And uh, Bunny says, "Ha! Huh, I bet he's never met a bunny like a rabbit like me. Six foot one, nerves of steel, master of Tai Chi." And Jack just sets off the alarm clock to get the Greyhound running. <laughs> So since you guys like the Yetis and the Elves so much, did you watch through the credits? Yes. For the, the first time ever, I watched Yeah, me too. Oh, me too. They, uh, they're uh, delivering all the sleeping children home to their parents' houses before uh, they all wake up in the morning. Yeah. So Sandia knocked them all out. So it's just a montage of the Yetis and the Elves and I think some of the other holidays. The hummingbirds. The hummingbirds and the eggs. Uh, take, getting all these children home before uh, their parents wake up. But because the kids are asleep, it's like them throwing them around and like struggling to carry them inside and everything. It's really funny. So it's exactly uh, like putting a human sleeping child to bed. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But yeah, Phil, the Yeti, signs, he signs his picture in one of these books. These Christmas books, he signs it Phil with a heart, and then he puts it down on the kid. <laughs> <That's> so cute. <laughs> I need to go watch that. The one thing I, I liked, I like when North says, Merry Christmas, and Bunny says, Happy Easter, and the Tooth Fairy says, and don't forget the floss. <laughs> <laughs> are we good on quotes? Yep, we are. Now we're at the hard part, guys. All right. Final thoughts and rank it. I love I love this movie and I liked it more with second viewing, even though it's not a Christmas movie. Anybody I like this movie a lot. Yeah. If I had just been going off my first viewing, it would have probably been another Arthur Christmas thing for me, especially uh, if we hadn't covered so many bad movies, just because it purely wasn't what I expected and it wasn't a Christmas movie. But I like this movie a lot. I wouldn't say I loved it, but it's very creative and I would like to see a sequel. And yeah, there's just something about seeing all these childhood icons interacting together. I want to see more of that. 
I liked the movie a lot. Um, I don't know. I don't know if it was a, a low expectation set or what, but um, because Anthony had has thrown so much shade to it before we watched it. But uh, I was really surprised by how much I liked it. Um, I will watch it again. It is going to be something I watch regularly. I'm not going to say it's going to be my Christmas canon, but it is a movie I will watch again and again because um, I have a feeling that as I watch it, I'm going to pick up on more things each time I see it. Mm-hmm. But I have a conundrum because it's not a Christmas movie. Mm-hmm. And that's why I still am not settled on I'm going through my rankings now. I have no idea where I'm going to rate this thing. I don't either. Um I just I don't because if it weren't if it weren't being ranked as a Christmas movie, I'd give it a fairly decent rating. Mm-hmm. But as a Christmas movie, and when I compare it to these other films, I don't know. Looking at rankings, and I gave Nightmare Before Christmas, which I did not think was a Christmas movie, a five. I definitely like it more than that. And Batman Returns, I gave a four because I like that movie, but it's not a Christmas movie. Mm-hmm. So. I'll be the first to bite the bullet. I'm going to give this one a six, which puts it in the same level as Arthur Christmas, even though I actually like this one more. But Arthur Christmas gets the extra boost because it's actually a Christmas movie. This is how I help myself sleep at night. I am going to give it the same ranking as Nightmare Before Christmas um, because I really like it and I don't think it's a Christmas movie. So I'm going to go a six and a quarter. See, I thought Nightmare Before Christmas was a Christmas movie. Mm. And I gave that 7.5, so I have to give it lower than that. I'm going to go ahead and give it... Oh, three days. No, I'm going to... Mm. <laughs> oh, man, this is hard. That's what she said. You know what? I will... Mm, 6.75. I knew it. In my brain, I knew it. I called it before you said it out loud. <laughs> <laughs> huh, so we were all right in the same ballpark here. Which gives it a six and six point three three three, which puts it between the man who invented Christmas and the Nightmare Before Christmas. I don't hate that place. No, I think that, I think that's a nice placing for it. Can I just say I'm so happy one that Tom, upon first viewing, enjoyed this movie, and two that Anthony actually liked it more on second viewing. So viewing for a podcast. So yeah, so this was one of the. I'm not going to give away the other two or three. There were a few movies on our list for this year that I didn't, didn't like that I've been looking forward to revisiting. And this is the first, like I said, total 180 I've done. So I'm really excited now to go visit the other ones when we get to them. And I'll let you guys know when we get to them. But yeah. I'm excited. I'm also excited about our Patreon stuff we've got going on. Tom, you want to talk about that? I will talk about that. Um, we still have the Clue episode up. We've got something in the works for this month. It will be a nice surprise for you. And during this episode, we decided we were going to reveal um, or discuss how we learned some hard truths about holidays. Is that, uh, is that ambiguous enough, guys? I, I, <laughs> I think that's ambiguous enough, but you know what we mean. Uh, so we're going to do that as a Patreon episode. That's the, the newest one in our in our cadre of things that we have on the works so head over to patreon.com search tis the podcast and for just a dollar a month you get access to all of our uh, back episodes that we've created or you can donate a little more and get stuff like a tis the podcast sticker to show off your love of the podcast card random cards from us throughout the year and christmas cards we've got some fun stuff over there and if you want to help us some other way, you could always rate or review us on iTunes or wherever you found this podcast. 
um, you know, each rating and review helps us to spread the Christmas cheer 365 days a year because it helps new listeners find the pod. Um, you can also like our social media pages on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and our Reddit page. And you should also visit our website, www.tisthepodcast.com, where you can view our entire list of movies we've done so far and where they rank against one another. Because it's getting long now, so we can't um, you know, go through it every episode. But it's worth checking out, so you should do that. So next week, we are covering a television Christmas special and a made-for-TV Christmas movie. Uh, we are covering the one and only Christmas episode the Brady Bunch ever did, The Voice of Christmas, uh, which was season one, episode 12, if anyone wants to download it or find it online and watch it some legal way. And we are also... <laughs> we are we are also covering the, um, <clears throat> along with it, the 1988 CBS made-for-TV reunion movie, A Very Brady Christmas, which featured the original cast of The Brady Bunch, minus Cindy, and uh, was the highest-rated made-for-TV movie that year. People liked Where it. Where was Cindy? She was on her honeymoon in real life, so they recast her. <laughs> Boy, you couldn't miss your honeymoon for filming of a TV movie that you were the original cast in a show that aired for quite some time. Yeah. Some good questionable scheduling. Yeah, you probably, um, it's probably the most money she was ever going to make again in her life. Yeah, well, she did reprise the role of Cindy when the Brady Bunch came back in the 90s for their short lived dramedy TV show, The Brady's. And then Marsha didn't come back because she was in rehab. But we'll talk about all the juicy behind-the-scenes stuff next week. But I'm excited for next week because I like both of those. I'll so, have nothing to contribute because I'm not a big Brady, Brady Bunch fan. So I'll have nothing to contribute next week. Julia, do you like the Brady Bunch? I do like the Brady Bunch. I, I'll, I'm going to make a prediction now. I think how much you enjoy the movie next week is going to depend on your nostalgia for the Brady Bunch. Mm. Like, and I, I really say you, enjoyed... you generally. So. Uh, the X-Files had an episode of the show very, very, very late into its last season with the wrong cast. It was not Mulder and Scully. And it mirrored Brady Bunch. And that's one of my favorite non-Mulder Scully episodes. I yeah. love that episode. All right, guys. Only 266 days until Christmas. Last week, we hit the nine-month mark. Yeah. Woo-hoo. That's only... Gonna make a- a baby reference here if we were a pregnant woman <laughs> that's only we a- 40 more weeks guys 40 more weeks next week we're under 40 How's yay it- that's a milestone i want to hit i well, can't wait this year's flying y'all do your homework watch you some brady bunch bye guys bye, bye.